For those of you who I've not yet met, my name is Jack Cornfield. And uh, it's also wonderful to be back at IMS. It's been almost 30 years teaching here. And um, it's a pleasure to be back in this hall. The chant that I began with is part of the morning and evening chant of the Buddhist temples in Southeast Asia, in Thailand, and Burma. And part of its meaning is an invitation to awaken to our own Buddha nature and to know the Dharma or the teachings that are immediate, open-handed, to be discovered by each person with their own wisdom. So you're invited in that spirit, as has been done for thousands of years, to begin the retreat. I'm joined quite happily by a crew of wonderful colleagues and teachers. To your right from me is Susan O'Brien, who's one of the regular teachers here at IMS, various retreats, including the three-month retreat here, and has been practicing for years and years and years and teaching for a long time. And to your left of me is Grove Burnett, who is the um, lead teacher at the Vallecitos Mountain Refuge Retreat Center in New Mexico, also been practicing for at least a couple decades or more, um, and leads retreats there together with Joseph Goldstein and Stephen Smith and a whole variety of other people, myself included. Um, I'm glad Grove can come out and join us. And then Mark Coleman next to him, who trained um, in India and in England with Christopher Titmus, taught with Christopher quite a bit in both those venues, and now lives in California and is a member of the Spirit Rock Teachers Council and has been... Um, leading retreats and teaching there, here at IMS and in England. Um, And next to him is Heather Martin, who's uh, from British Columbia. And Heather also has a very long history of retreat practice. Um, She's a midwife as well, so she knows how to help people um, go through difficult labor and get born. Mostly she'll just tell you to breathe, I suppose, but anyway, uh, and a wonderful teacher. So I'm glad we have the collective of us with you. And it is um, an honor to share the space of retreat, the sacred space that comes when we gather for a time in our life and are drawn inward to listen to the heart, to listen to the mind, to listen to those truths that come, especially in stillness. And every wise culture around the world knows that we as human beings are called at times to go into the mountains or out into the desert or off to the temple to listen in this way, to have a conversation, if you will, with that knowing heart in silence, to renew ourselves. And no matter how many times you've done this, whether it's your first residential retreat, how many are here are on your first week or more long residential retreat? Please raise your hand. Virgins. 
Oh, it's great. Welcome. What a pleasure. Um, or whether it's your umpteenth, it's still wonderful to return, to take this time to sit, to walk, to listen. A little story to begin with. As a professor of astrophysics at Harvard, several years ago I received an invitation to give a series of lectures at the University of Arizona, Tucson. I was delighted to accept because it would give me a chance to visit Kitts Peak Observatory, which has one of the largest telescopes in North America. I always wanted to look through it, and I asked my host to arrange an evening so I could look directly at some of the objects I was studying. I was then told that this would be impossible because the telescope was constantly in use for computer photography and other research activities. In that case, I'm sorry I won't be able to attend your lecture series, I replied. Naturally, within days, I was informed that everything had changed and uh, arranged according to my wishes. And after the lectures, we drove up the mountain on a clear night where the Milky Way glistened close enough to touch. I entered the cupola and told the technicians that I wanted to first see the rings of Saturn and then a number of galaxies I'd been studying. It was such pleasure to observe with my own eyes with the utmost clarity all the details I had often seen only on photographs before. As I looked, I realized the room had begun to fill with people and one by one they too peeked into the telescope. I was told that these were the astronomers attached to the observatory, but they too had never before had the opportunity of looking directly at the objects of their investigations. Because you're wise, I don't need to say much more about that story. But how wonderful and important it is for us to step out of the complexity and the speed and the multitasking and the computers. Anybody have a computer and by virtue of having it have more free time? Never mind, it's okay, it's a little aside. And the political climate, which is um, in many ways a climate of fear that has been growing and of conflict. And just to stop and say, ah, here we are, alive in this mysterious time. Now coming on retreat, as we do in this beautiful spring period, is both beautiful and difficult. Because to sit and listen, to willingly quiet the mind and open the heart, means also that we have to attend to whatever's unfinished in us, whatever wants to show itself in this space. Thomas Merton writes in the invitation to his monastery, the apparent pointlessness of the monastery in the eyes of the world is exactly what gives it a real reason for existing. In a world of noise, confusion, and conflict, it is necessary that there be places of silence, of inner discipline and peace, 
not the peace of relaxation, but the peace of inner clarity and love based on renunciation. In a world of tension and breakdown, it is necessary for there to be men and women who seek to integrate their inner lives not by avoiding their sorrows and running away from them, but by facing them in their naked reality and their ordinariness. So we come together in this way, out of the complexity and in some ways the madness of the world, to listen, to return to our true nature, our Buddha nature, to the place of both compassion and awareness or wisdom, and to discover the possibility for freedom no matter what the circumstances of our life. The deepest values, what the Buddha referred to as the sure heart's release, the possibility that our spirit be free no matter what circumstance we face. Now, freedom, which we have a lot of words about in our kind of political sphere these days, is indeed precious. Nelson Mandela said it after he was released from prison and the apartheid was lifted and a new government established in South Africa. He looked out to a large crowd of people and said, the truth is we are not yet free we, merely, we have merely achieved the freedom to be free. And here, too, we have the circumstances that invite a deeper freedom. I was traveling in Florida a couple years ago and ran into a man at the airport who said, Jack, remember me? I looked around, oh, yeah. He said, I did some retreats with you up at IMS in the 70s. Yeah, I remembered that. He said, then I kind of quit. I was one of those students that you might have said was sort of a failure. Shook my head, yeah. He said, but last year I was in, wheeled in the hospital because of this um, heart attack I'd had, really bad. And they were rolling me down the you know, corridor on the way to surgery on the gurney. He said, and all that I could remember that mattered was what I'd learned in those retreats. I went back to my breath. I felt my heart beat, my body. I remembered that it was possible to be with my experience and present in a way that I haven't for a long time. He said, and so even though you might think I didn't get anything because I didn't come back enough, I just want to tell you how important it was for me. We sit in the presence of a great mystery, which is birth into these human bodies, aging, death. We're all comrades in this mystery together. And the invitation on this retreat is to quiet your mind, is to listen, is to face into the mystery, the sorrows of life and the unspeakable beauty of life, and to listen really deeply. And collectively, we will work to support you, protect you, 
with silence, which will be talked about, with the meals that are provided and the support of the staff, with interviews that will begin the day after tomorrow, which are really just um, times for you to ask questions of us as teachers. We'll have a couple of days of group interviews and then four days of individual interviews. You'll have time every two days, every other day, to speak with us um, teachers um, about what's happening in your meditation. We'll give systematic instruction each day, building on it, starting with breath and body and going from there to feelings and thoughts and all of experience. We'll teach loving-kindness practice and weave it into the retreat starting tomorrow. And most of all, we just want to make a place for you to be present for yourself. On your part, let yourself slow down now. Ain't going nowhere. You can take your time opening the door, putting on your shoes, holding a cup of tea, coming into the sitting. And in slowing down these first days, be patient. Most everyone, even the more experienced meditators among you, will find that it takes two or three days for the body and mind just to settle down somewhat from the intensity of our modern life. And you can't hurry it. Remember that song, You Can't Hurry Love? Well, apparently it's the same for meditation. I mean, I'd sing it to you, but you know the tune. Can't hurry love. Now, anyway, just have to wait. So be patient. I mean, you could be impatient. It's okay, too. as you like. But my experience is if I try really hard and I'm impatient at the beginning of retreats, it doesn't settle down really much quicker. And I suffer a lot, so I'll leave that in your hands to figure out. And also be kind. Don't judge these first days. Your mind will wander a million times. Your body will ache. Things that you've forgotten will start to arise in you. You'll feel all the difficulties and doubts. That's part of the process. There's a kind of purification, a release, a getting here. Be kind, be compassionate. If you could just be tender with yourself and patient and put in your time, slow down, the process of opening and being present will deepen and grow in its own way. So I welcome you with great pleasure. I'm glad to be sharing this retreat with you and with my colleagues and friends here. And some of you I know for years and years, and that's really sweet to see. And some are new friends or friends to be. Thank you. Kind of wish I had a visor on. (laughs) This light is so bright. It's a little bit hard to see you. But I'd like to add my welcome to Jack's and also um, second what he said about the honor of sharing this space with you. It really is a rare and um, very special opportunity to come together in this way to go into silence and, and really slow down and 
attuned to ourselves very deeply and our potential to open to that. So um, I very much appreciate your coming here to do that and joining you in that process this week. And as Jack said, it can be a difficult process. I mean, if you've been here before, if you've been on retreat before, you know that. (laughs) And if you haven't, you perhaps anticipate it already. (laughs) You know, it's different than what we usually do to come and be still and really go inside in a very committed way. So one of the things that we do on an opening night like this is to, first of all, just acknowledge that, um, what we're doing here, and then try to create together a kind of sanctuary or sacred space. That's really what we're doing, is creating a kind of sacred space. And that sacred space is born just out of that dedicated energy that we bring, you know, to this practice. And we can also support uh, the safety that is so important to feel to do this kind of work by making some commitments together, you know, and really some reflections and some commitments so that we feel in harmony as a group and as a community for this week. So traditionally, as a retreat begins, we offer what are called the refuges and the precepts. And I'm going to speak just a little bit about the refuges, and then Grove will speak about the precepts, and we'll take them together. And before I start um, about these refuges, I wanted to just tell you a little story, something that happened just recently. My partner is a, a builder, and he was working nearby, just up the road on Pleasant Street, in the next town, but very near. And the fellow that he works with usually was out uh, with an injury, so he needed some help. So he called um, a kind of service where you can get part-time help um, for building. And when he called this place and was describing where he worked, you know, they were going to send over a couple of young men to work with him, and he was telling them where it was, they said... Oh, we have to backtrack, actually, to say that perhaps you know there's a new center up the hill called the Forest Refuge. And uh, it's for long-term practice. Uh, People come and do months, weeks, months, or a year or more of practice there. And there are people there now practicing. So anyway, my partner called up and asked for these uh, two fellows to come, and he was giving directions. And the man on the phone said, oh yeah, yeah, we've sent some people out there to work, yeah, at, at the forest refugee. <laughs> and when he told me that story, I just loved it, um, because it just made me think, you know, like, what does he think <laughs> this place is? And then I thought about it, you know, like how in a certain way, we kind of are refugees. You know, when I thought about it, I thought, if we think about what our true home is, really, you know, where we take refuge, where we're most deeply at home, are we living in that place, you know, most of the time? Quite often we're estranged from it. We're kind of wandering around and in our busyness and not really connected with that. So 
that's what we're doing here, you know, in this practice, is reconnecting with that place that's home, a true home. So in a way, these three refuges that are offered at the beginning of a retreat are the places for us where we resonate and connect, like that true home. The refuges traditionally are the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. But I think just to reflect for each of us on what refuge means. You know, where do we find our true home? Where is that place of safety and deep connection? So when we take refuge, really, I think in the deepest way, it's about that. It's about aligning our hearts where we feel most strongly connected and safe at home, inspired. So the Buddha, when we take refuge in the Buddha, what does that mean for us? You know, the Buddha, even as a historical being, is no longer here with us. So how can we take refuge in the Buddha? And really, it's to take refuge in our own Buddha nature. So the Buddha really represents these amazing qualities of so many things. You know, a wholehearted presence, a kind of fearlessness in being present like that in the world. So courage, commitment, and the very deepest wisdom, freedom, compassion, the kindness that Jack was just mentioning that we can each bring to this retreat. We already have these qualities, and they can be developed, you know, and deepened very powerfully. So when we take refuge in the Buddha, that's what we're talking about, taking refuge in that awakened quality of our own hearts and minds, in those qualities that the Buddha represents. The second refuge, the refuge of the Dharma, can be understood in different ways. The Dharma is, you, that word is used to refer to the teachings of the Buddha, the path that he laid out for us to try, to follow, to practice, to come to that place of awakening in our own hearts. So the teachings of the Buddha, and also a definition of the Dharma that I really appreciate and so often call upon in my own practice is the truth, or the way things are. And when I think about it, that is such an amazing refuge. You know, really just taking refuge in the way things are, in the truth, in how this moment is unfolding. So at times in your practice, you know, this week, it might be a lovely, beautiful time. Usually we don't need such a strong reminder then. You know, it's more like those times when we're suffering and we're struggling with something and we're having some self-doubt. That if we can remember taking refuge in the truth, ah, this is what's true for me. Can I open to this? Can I see this? Can I come to a deeper realization with this, just the way it is? 
And then the third refuge, the Sangha, is another really wonderful place to take refuge because this is the community that we share, the community that we are already here together. In the time of the Buddha, the Sangha referred to those disciples of the Buddha who were doing this practice and who became fully awakened as well. So the enlightened monks and nuns, the practitioners. And we use the word Sangha to refer to the community of practitioners, all of us, at whatever stage we are in our practice. So knowing that we're not alone on this path, that we're here together. Quite often I like to remember that this is such a long um, lineage, you know, that we're a part of, that so many people have walked this path before us, you know, and done this hard work, this beautiful work of sitting and being still and really looking at our own experience, that many, many people have done it and are doing it all over the world, even now. So we're not alone, and we're here together as this community. It's a great support. So taking refuge in the Sangha, the community of others on the path, There are many similes that I've read that uh, describe these three refuges, and I just want to share one of them, in which it's said that the Buddha is like the sun, whose appearance in the world is like the sun rising over the horizon. And the Dharma is like the sun's rays spreading over the earth, bringing warmth and light. And then the Sangha is like those beings for whom the darkness is dispelled. So I'll just say the the refuges, and if you like, if you feel to, you can repeat them to yourself. Um, And then Grove will speak about the precepts. But before I do that, I also just wanted to mention um, the practice of bowing, because... For those of you, especially if you're new here, you might see certain people come into the hall or some of us might come into the hall and make a kind of bow to the Buddha statue here. And it can seem so strange, you know, if you're not used to this. So first of all, just to say that um, it's not required. (laughs) It's a very personal process. And if you feel to, if it's something that you do, you should feel free and comfortable doing that. In Asia, it's a very um, common practice in the monasteries, of course, to do bowing as a part of the practice, really. And it can be a very beautiful way of um, kind of surrendering or giving ourselves very fully, kind of like putting our heads to the ground as a way of, you know, just offering ourselves to this process. But for some people, when, for myself often, when I'm sort of doing a little bow in front of the Buddha, I'm also remembering the refuges or just kind of realigning myself in those moments with those refuges that I just mentioned. So I just wanted to mention that 
so that you'll have a sense of what this seemingly odd practice is about. And if you asked any of us and any others in the hall, you might get quite a wide range of responses of what's happening inwardly for people if they do vow. So traditionally the refuges are offered three times, so I'll just repeat them three times. And as I said, just if you feel to, you can repeat them silently to yourself. Or you can reflect on what might be a refuge for you. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. For the second time, I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. For the third time, I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. Good evening. It's uh, wonderful and a a deep honor to be uh, sharing this week with you. In addition to the uh, refuges, it's traditional uh, at the beginning of a retreat or a period of intensive training like we're going to undertake to also uh, take what are called the five training uh, precepts. Uh, And these uh, five uh, precepts are uh, very simple uh, and include, uh, first, uh, refraining from killing, secondly, refraining from stealing, thirdly, refraining from sexual misconduct, fourth, refraining from false speech or lying, and finally, fifth, uh, to refrain from using intoxicants. In this practice uh, that we're about to undertake, in fact, in any spiritual practice, ethical training uh, and conduct and moral practice forms the very basis. It's the very bedrock. It's the foundation of the practice uh, itself. We must begin here uh, with uh, this practice. It's not possible Uh, to advance on this path of uh, the Dharma unless we undertake a rigorous uh, practice uh, in the ethical uh, and moral uh, values embodied in the precepts. It's important, I think, to remember uh, as we take these precepts uh, as practitioners, that they're not commandments, not prescriptions. Um, I think it's uh, better um, and more useful to view them as guidelines. Uh, They are universal in nature, uh, these precepts, uh, and they really provide us a code of discipline for our behavior uh, during our period of practice here together, 
living in community, they really also provide the framework, the principles for how to live our lives. And they're based on a very simple, fundamental principle that is central to the teachings. And that is the principle of non-harming. The intent of each of these precepts is to not harm or to injure ourselves or to harm or to injure others. And the precepts, in a very specific way, address five ways that we can avoid harming. The first one, to refrain from killing. Um, Clearly, the intention there is to cultivate a reverence for life in a very fundamental way, to care for, to honor life. And here on retreat, that means to honor and to care for life in all forms, whatever size. And we follow that precept uh, with all the creatures that join us here on the retreat, large or small, all those bugs, the spiders. Uh, We uh, honor them by following the first precept as well. And the second one is to refrain from stealing, which means, of course, not to take that which is not ours. Uh, A very basic principle of non-harming. But it also means, in not stealing, to not to be greedy, not to take too much, to be sensitive, to take only that which we really need. Here we are gathered as a community. There are more than a hundred of us, including the staff and teacher, living in residence for eight days. There are no locks anywhere in the center, in the retreat center. And it's because we're creating this container to hold us with an atmosphere of trust and safety uh, that comes from following uh, the, the precepts. It's a place of refuge that we're creating. The third precept uh, in our normal everyday lives is to refrain from sexual misconduct. Again, this is not framed so much as a commandment in this tradition, as a reminder to us to not act out of sexual desire in a way that harms ourselves or harm others. As we all know, and which becomes sometimes particularly apparent on retreat, Sexual energy is extremely powerful and can be and is the source of great suffering. We all have been fools in this arena in our lives. Anyone not? So on retreat, we extend this precept, the third one, a little further and make it quite easy for you. And that is we ask you to refrain from any sexual activity at all during the entirety of the retreat. The intention here is to focus all the energy 
all our awareness and attention on the inner work that we're doing. So we have the first three, not killing, second, not stealing, or taking that which is not ours. The third is uh, refraining from any sexual activity. And the fourth precept is to refrain from false speech or lying. That is, of course, to speak only what is true and what is helpful. The precept encourages us to speak responsibly and appropriately. We all know we spend so much of our lives engaged in speech, discussing, talking, analyzing, planning, speculating, gossiping. As my Zen teacher used to say, yammy, 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 yammy. And if we are honest with ourselves, much of that speech is pretty unconscious and pretty unaware. Now, on retreat, we also make it quite easy for you, as you know. And we extend this precept to uh, refraining from any speech whatsoever. And beginning now with the opening of the retreat, we will enter into the noble silence, where silence will be observed throughout the retreat, with the exception of those times when you're in an interview with your teacher. There might be an occasion where a few words need to be spoken to the IMS staff around your yogi job, particularly at the beginning. Certainly, if you have an emergency, um, you uh, can speak to a teacher or staff. But otherwise, we're creating this remarkable container here, uh, which is held to a large extent by the silence, by the noble silence. And I'll say just a few words about the noble silence, particularly for those of you who uh, have not spent a long period in a silent retreat. And in that circumstance, it can at first appear quite intimidating, if not daunting, to actually not talk for eight days. But you will find, um, I promise you, and we can't promise you much of anything, (laughs) but this I think we can, is that you will uh, find at the end of the retreat that this is one of the sweetest gifts that you can give yourself in this crazy, frenzied culture and society we live in to take eight days of silence just in itself to say nothing of doing this remarkable ancient practice is a gift. It's a real gift. Now, a couple of encouragements about the silence, uh, the noble silence. The first one is that in order for it to work, all of us have to agree not to talk. Uh, And even if you're at a distance and you're not being heard, if you see someone talking, it really does break the integrity of the container that we create. So we ask you to to really honor uh, that container. In addition, um, for those of you particularly who are new, it helps, um, I have found, 
to, as we're turning inward, to even avoid eye contact with fellow yogis. Um, And this is not because we're being unfriendly or we're trying to separate ourselves from each other. You will find deep in the stillness an amazing interconnectedness among us. But it just avoids the distraction of, you know, so much energy can pass just in in, um, a glance or eyes meeting. And we can just set that all aside. So that when you sit down at the, at the dining room table and I'm sitting next to Mark for breakfast and I'm not saying anything, it doesn't mean that I don't like him or I'm mad at him that day or whatever. It's we, we have this agreement that we are doing this practice together. Uh, in fact, the silence uh, brings us, binds us together. Finally, the fifth Uh, precept is to refrain from the use of um, heedless use of intoxicants of drugs and alcohol this precept really encourages us it allows us to develop clarity and alertness it's impossible to really do this practice of mindfulness of paying attention Uh, if your mind is clouded by drugs or alcohol or intoxicants. So in this retreat, uh, the precept, uh, we ask you to refrain from the use of any intoxicants, drugs or alcohol. Of course, if you have a prescription medicine that you're using, that certainly uh, is appropriate. So I look at the precepts, and invites you to take them really as a foundation for our practice. And you older students, I know I have done so many retreats, and you know, you take the precepts, let's get to the practice. Um, This really is the practice. It is the bedrock of the practice. And uh, I encourage you to uh, treat it in that spirit. I look upon the, the precepts really as a pledge It's a pledge to myself and to my fellow yogis uh, to offer respect for myself, for you, and for life uh, itself. And in taking them, we ask you, we invite you to not take them because you're told to. um, uh, Really explore and examine. To take them from a deep desire Uh, within uh, that comes out of our own hearts. So what I'll do is I will read uh, each one of the uh, precepts and I ask you to invite you to listen to it carefully and calmly and reflect on it, each one uh, for a few moments as I read them. The first precept Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to protect life. The second precept. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment 
to only take what is offered to me. The third precept, knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to protect relationships and to be celibate during this retreat. And the fourth precept, knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to speak the truth. And in this retreat, to enter in and to honor the noble silence. And finally, the fifth precept, knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment not to harm myself or others with alcohol or drugs. I'd also like to welcome you and say what a privilege and pleasure it is to be back here teaching and look forward to working with you. I don't have much to add uh, since it's been such a complete offering tonight, but I do want to pick up on the word that Jack spoke about when he asked, when he talked about people who are new here being retreat virgins. One of the original root meanings of virgin is wholeness or already whole. And I'd like to encourage you in the remembrance of your own wholeness, your own innate completeness. And however many instructions and practices and techniques we offer in this week, and how much we talk about the path and the journey and the end of the path, to also not forget that we are already whole and complete just as you are right now in this moment. Your Buddha nature is already shining within you. Thank you. Hello, my name's Heather. Well, I too would just love to welcome you here I'd like to thank you for coming, for taking the time. This is going against what we normally do in our lives, so to take away a week, eight days, to give yourselves to this journey together, I appreciate. And um, it, me too, of course, is a great privilege to be here. I've only been here a couple of times before. This has been in the fall, so it's really a delight to come back and be here in the springtime. I'm looking forward to getting to know some of you, and uh, I'm really happy to be able to share some of our journey together that we all love, or probably will learn to love if if you're new. Thank you. have a short sitting this evening, but if you'd like to stand and stretch first, 
You're welcome to. So as you take your seat, you might spend just a couple moments checking in with your posture. You want to have a base uh, so that your sit bones are in contact with the chair or, or cushion. And if you're on the floor, that your legs or knees are also having contact. If your knees are way up off the floor, you might want to have something underneath them. It's just so you have a stable base. And the spine should be pretty erect without straining, just a sense of uprightness in the posture that will contribute to wakefulness in the mind. So see if you can settle into that base and have a sense of that uprightness, and then let your body relax in that position. This practice is done with the eyes closed, So you can gently close your eyes. If you're uncomfortable with the eyes closed, it's fine to leave them open and just slightly downcast in front of you. And really what I'd like to emphasize in this short sitting this evening is just the simple arriving in this moment in this body. So you can feel free to take a couple of deep breaths as a way of relaxing and arriving. And see if you can let go of any tension or holding in your body. Just relaxing the eyes, letting them soften, the jaw, the neck and shoulders. Just letting your hands rest in your lap or on your knees or legs. very simply and yet fully coming into this present moment in your body.
You might be aware of the points of contact where your legs and sit bones are touching the cushion or chair. Not looking for anything in particular. Just noticing those sensations. You might notice the sensations in your hands. Or your lips touching each other. And then see if you can begin to notice the sensations of the movement of your breath. Wherever you notice it most clearly. Might be at the nose, might be in the belly or chest. Or it might be the whole movement or flow of breath through your body. We can use the breath as a kind of anchor, a place to collect our attention. Collect the energy of the mind to focus it. Pay attention to a breath, and then the mind wanders. And the practice is about remembering, bringing the mind back to this present moment, using the breath as a way to connect with the present moment. So we just come back again and again. Notice another breath. It doesn't matter how many times you do that. 